You're listening to the RE Social Podcast with your hosts, Andrew and Vince from Onvi Invest. For more information, go to onviinvest.com. What's happening, guys? Today, we have uh, one of my best friends, Vivek Girison from India. We're going to do this whole podcast in Tamil. So everybody else is uh, pretty much done. So uh, I, uh, Vivek and I grew up in um, India and we know each other for, I don't even know how long, close to 20 years, right? Uh, at this point. 17. Uh, 17 years. Yeah. yeah. You want to uh, give a little background, dude? 17, 18. Yourself? Yeah. 18 years. Yeah. 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 It's uh, yeah, we, maybe 19. I don't know. I'm losing track. <laughs> it's a long time, but uh, you're old. Yeah. That's the point of that. <laughs> yeah. We're old. <laughs> or we're only 19 years old. <laughs> you're only 19. You met a bird. Yeah, we uh, yeah we met in in college. Uh, at first, I remember, still remember the first time I saw Vincent. He was I saw him in lab. I thought he was a weirdo. Uh, took me a while. <laughs> took me a took me a while to warm up to him. Um, we had a bunch of stuff in common. We had music. We both played some video games, and uh, yeah, I think it was the music that really kept us together. And uh, yeah, it's been a wild ride since then. You know, uh, a lot, uh, many people don't know this, but when I met Vivek, um, I actually only passed in four classes and I failed in six classes and I met Vivek and Vivek's like, hey, you know, you're trying to get to the US, right? I'm like, oh yeah, bro, I'm going. He's like, you're, you're not going to the US. I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> He's like, your grade is so bad. Like you won't even leave this college. I'm like, what? And then from that time, mm-hmm. it took me seven semesters, three and a half years mm-hmm. to do the, like to come up with more grades to mm-hmm. um, come to the US. So in wow. actually, I had to, the last like few semesters, I was getting four on four just mm-hmm. because my GPA was like one in the beginning. It was ridiculous. It was so, like 1.6. So you cranked it up. So he kind of set you straight. Yeah, he was, because I didn't even know I'm, I'm an idiot. Like, right, right, right. And then everything changed. And I was like, oh no, I'm leaving. I'm going to the US. Wow. We so- watched Friends together. <laughs> Yeah. Say, so, hey, let's talk about it. So his show that brought him to the States is Friends. What was your show? My show? Um, I think it was not just one show. I think it was, I mean, Seinfeld, I've watched a lot of Seinfeld's Friends. Seinfeld. Yeah, it was, uh, that was it. And a lot of movies, I feel, really uh, influenced movies. me. I also, I also had my sister here. So that was more reason. Oh. We, we are pro-American propaganda. Like, we, we were just <laughs> like, yes, let's go there. <laughs> Nice, man. That's cool. Yeah. Well, I'm glad uh, I'm glad you guys are here because uh, between the two of you, you know, you've, you've changed my life and supercharged uh, what I've accomplished uh, way faster than than what my plan was. If I even had a plan, that's that's might be being a little bit uh, gratuitous on my part, because I was basically just, you know, I'm a hustler. I know I got to take care of mom like. You know, I see, I saw like over the horizon what what I need to do. And so I've always worked really, really hard. I've been very blessed to build a music school that we're sitting in now and, um, you know, get into the real estate thing. But it was mainly because of you too. So I'm especially excited to have you um, chat with us and to share this podcast uh, with whoever's listening. Because, you know, they say um, whenever you want to start a business or a new venture or anything really is to, you know, one of the main things is to get a mentor. And, and I kind of attribute you as a mentor of sorts, even though it was just like a, you know, a couple of brief chats. Um, 
But I remember I was out in your area and, you know, checking out Philly and my cousin was getting married and you drove out. How long did you drive to, to 40, 40, 45 minute drive? Wow. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Like, so you just like made the trip. I'm super grateful. We had a really great time and just chatted at that little dive bar. I forgot what it's even called. And uh, it was cool, man. We kind of just like traded skills. You know, I was telling you guitar things, I think. And then you were like, here's how to get wealthy and buy real estate, dummy. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you answered, I remember you answered like three or four questions that were like kind of looming in my brain. I just wanted to hear from somebody who had been doing it before, you know? And, uh, and so you really helped flip that switch in my brain to have the confidence to say, all right, green light, let's go. So I just want to thank you for that, man. I was, you're, you're pivotal, you're pivotal in my life overall. So I appreciate you, dude. You, you did nothing help. for me, Vivek. <laughs> not, not one thing. Not one thing. <laughs> Yeah, actually, uh, actually, Vivek is the one who got me to read Rich Dad Poor Dad. It took me oh, really? two years uh, since he told me oh, to read wow. it, and That's I just, cool. I just never. I'm, I'm always trying to not get kicked out of the U.S. So it, it, I was busy with doing other things with my visa stuff. Yeah. But yeah, eventually I did uh, end up reading Rich Dad Poor Dad uh, because of Vivek. So that was nice. that was super cool. So Vivek, I want to go back to you. Tell us how you know, like we all come from very similar backgrounds. We speak Tamil. You know, our families are very similar. The culture is similar. But and we went to engineering school together, and then we did mechanical engineering. How did you know that is not the path to reach financial freedom? What made you look somewhere else, and how did you go there? So I, so I've I've lived all over the country, and I've met so many different people, and. Uh, this one guy I met, you know, back, back when I used to live in Chicago, there's this one guy I met. He was the guy who got me into, he got, I saw him do real estate stuff and he was like, it just blew my mind. I was like, when I saw him do what he was doing, I was like, this is insane. He's younger than me. How is he making so much money in real estate? How is he doing all these things? And then uh, coincidentally, at the same time, my brother-in-law uh, back then when he used to live in the UK, he literally physically sent me a physical copy of Rich Dad Poor Dad by mail. And he said, you have to read this book. And I was like, wow, this really must be something. He, he actually sent me, he sent me uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad. My sister sent me The Secret. Uh, that's his wife. And I still haven't read The Secret, but I definitely read Rich Dad Poor Dad. And that <laughs> you don't just... You read that crap. <laughs> you are the that... secret. <laughs> <laughs> and that book Rich just Poor blew Dad my mind. is the secret. <laughs> Anybody who's reading Secret out there, you are a moron. <laughs> anyway i'm glad i read the right book and it just blew my mind i was like uh, i was like what's going on and then as i was reading that book i was also talking to uh this friend of mine in chicago who was buying up multifamily, and he had all these goals he's like oh i need to have one million in assets by the end of uh, next year and i was like one million like how do you even get to that number i couldn't even fathom it in my head because i was thinking so small i was just happy with my $70,000 a year salary. And I just thought, you know, I would retire someday with maybe a $150,000 a year salary. And that's it. Call it a day. Never become a millionaire. Like that didn't even, those thoughts didn't even cross my mind. But after I saw him do it, I asked him, dude, show me your ways. He ran some numbers by me. And uh, he's like, oh yeah. I was like, don't you need 20% down? He's like, no, dude, do an FHA, three and a half percent. I was like, wait, nice. what? You can do that? And then he's explaining all the tax benefits to me. And like one after the other, just my mind is being blown. I was like, whoa, you can deduct your expenses. 
you know, you can make have all these deductions, you have all these tax benefits, you can make so much money. And you can do all of this while having a day job. And this is back when I actually had to go in the office. I didn't have a remote job. And um, it was thanks to meeting him, I had the confidence to go and buy my first four unit. This was back in 2014, 2015. Um, nice. I, I saw a uh, quadplex listed in like a B plus neighborhood in the suburbs of Chicago. And um, I think it was listed for about 260K or something. I put an offer, uh, got it for about 250K. And I was pumped. It was positive cash flowing. Um, the, it wasn't in great condition, but it was, you know, all the tenants were in and they all seemed to be paying rent. And uh, I, just, I just went all in. I was like, I was thinking the only way to get in the game is like to actually do it. Enough of reading books, enough of, you know, quote unquote, they call intellectual masturbation by just looking at things, looking up stuff on the internet. Um, I need to actually do this. So I, I went in, I had, I did not have a contractor. I did not have any property management. I didn't have anything. And then I eventually, you know, found contractors on Home Advisor, on Yelp, on Craigslist, and uh, started managing the property. And that's when my journey started. That's awesome, dude. And that was yeah. a that was a, a fourplex, threeplex. That was a quadplex, yeah. That was a quadplex. What do you remember the rents on that property? The Quart rents on that it was about thirty. They were each paying about eight hundred to nine hundred. So I was making about under about 34 to 3500 a month in gross rents that's that's awesome yeah yeah and then and when you sold it uh, when i sold it i think uh the rents had gone up a little bit closer to almost 4000 it was like 3800 around 3800 or so okay. there was a little, little bit room there was a little bit room for improvement and um actually thinking about it it was about 800 each so it went went from about 3200 to i would say closer to 3,600, 36 to 3,700 in rent. So it wasn't a huge long? increase over a period of 2015 through 2017 is when I sold it. So oh, like okay. I held it for about two years, not for too long. Yeah, okay, cool. And uh, the reason I, I sold it was I moved from Chicago to Philly and you know I, had, I managed it remotely for about six months. And uh, that was getting quite challenging. So I just put it on the market what was uh, uh, what was challenging about managing it as someone who I'm basically taking over a lot of the management and, you know, learning a lot about how much I don't know and, and how much of this business is people like any business. Yeah. So what, what I'm curious as to what were the challenges? There was uh, it's a, the most annoying part was the village, the township. They just had all these rules where you know if your tenants had storage outside they would come and write you up they'd have all these inspections and you would have to fix all these minor things you know if your exterior light is not working they're going to write you a ticket some you know gang people might come and spray on your uh, you know take a paint can and the rattle can and spray across the exterior of your property you have to get that clean because you cannot have gang signs on your property and, you know it's like all sorts of issues and then you know of course there's maintenance issues you know someone's toilet gets clogged or, uh, you know, something breaks, you know, there's a mold so issue. Can I ask you what kind of area it was in? Like, so in, just to kind of give the audience, you know, and listening, can you break down the types of areas, like how they're rated, like A, you know, and all. Yeah, and then what so order? this was in the suburbs of Chicago. So I would give this like a B, maybe a C plus, B minus neighborhood. It, it's not the kind of neighborhood I would want to live in. 
but would it you was let your main... mom walk the streets in this neighborhood i would not no That's i mean the streets i mean the streets you could walk the streets you could walk but i wouldn't want anyone i wouldn't you wouldn't want to live there it's not right. it was not like a safety not much of a safety issue there weren't that many shootings it was like one or two shootings here and there <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, that was like a classic real estate investor. <laughs> Too many shootings. It's yeah. fine. You have a gun, right? Just bring yeah. your gun. It's fine, dude. It's totally fine. Just, just have it open carry. <laughs> so it's not, it's not too bad. But I, I wouldn't want to live there. But um, I was never concerned for my safety. It was, it was mostly like a Hispanic neighborhood. You know, people working hard, trying to, trying to pay their rent. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was not, not that bad. But these are the kind of places where I found that. You know the properties with cash flow, where you'll be able to cover your mortgage. My mortgage is around two thousand dollars, and I was, you know, easily covering my mortgage, and you know, got the cash flow covered, the maintenance, and I made some money on top of that. Were Were you still cash flow positive at that at the time of sale, or was it just? Yes, I was. Like I was. I was. I was cash flow positive at the time of sale. So you were just mortgage- like tired of running it because you were managing it yourself. Yeah, I was managing it myself, and you know, it contract. It was hard to find a reliable contractor. Um, yeah. Because yeah, like luckily after moving to Pennsylvania, I've I've found found a good network. But back then, it was it was just challenging to find the right contractor. That's a really interesting theme that every like, you know, hands on kind of book about actual real estate, um, a lot from bigger pockets and stuff. That's a huge theme is team build the team. I remember like reading that chapter again and again, again, through any book I read. And I was like, all right, team, I got it. Yeah, I got it. You know? And then sure enough, learning the hard way, truly it, it is everything is the team. For so, sure. Ha- having a good handyman, a good contractor can save you so much headache. Yeah. It took us a, it took yeah. us like three tries to yep. get our guy. The first one was, Oh my God. He stole from us. First one stole a toilet from us. I remember like painting the, the house with him. I was in there and he knew that when, so when I, I remember going out getting the guys pizza and beer and just trying to be like, you know, cause I like to be a good boss. Right. You know? And I remember coming back every time I'd be coming back, he'd be out on another smoke break. You know, I'm like, what's happening, bro. This, this, and then this. the next guy was like, he did a good job, but he was super expensive. He was like, what was he like 40 an hour or something? Was it Henry? Henry. Yeah. And he was just like, he was real expensive, man. And this is a property that was in, I don't know, what do you think, a D plus area? Yeah, we're selling that. Yeah, and we're well, actually, yeah, we're selling that like this week, which is exciting. But uh, Vivek, so where did you find these uh, contractors? Is it on Craigslist? It was Craigslist. It was a mix up. Uh, it was mostly Craigslist. Uh, I just looked up Handyman and just, you know, gave those guys a shot uh, because, you know, for... You cannot call the, you know, for example, if you have a clogged drain, you cannot call Roto Router or, you know, one of those expensive commercial companies. They will charge you so much money. Like yeah. you'll never make money on your property. So you need to find reasonably priced people who will be, you know, who are available for you ideally 24 7 in case there's an emergency in the middle of the night and not charge you an arm and a leg. Yeah. So, uh, so what did you do after that? So you, you, you had one good property and now you sold it. You have nothing. So yes. what happened after that? So I moved, so I moved to Pennsylvania and, uh, I was here in Philly and I had to study the market. It took me almost a year to figure the market out. So 20, I took most of 2017 to figure out, figure out the market. And then 2018, I finally found this property that had been sitting on a market for about 200 days. And I was like, why is it? I was skeptical. I was like, why is this sitting on the market for 200 days? 
It looks like it's cash flow positive. Um, it's in, it was in relatively decent shape. It was a B plus neighborhood, you know, no crime, no shootings, luckily here. Mm-hmm. And um, only once a month. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, uh, why isn't anyone buying this? So I got all the inspections done and uh, the numbers on it, it was listed at two, almost 290K. And uh, I was like, 290 is a little expensive. I put in an offer for about 243 or so and the seller accepted. I was like, what? I blew my mind. I was like, okay, let's, uh, let's do this. And uh, I got it. Uh, and as soon as I got it, I realized that the reason the seller really wanted to get rid of it is there was a deadbeat tenant in one of the units. And that's the one thing a lot of people are afraid of is dealing with evictions. So I was lucky in that I had to deal with this like, you know, right away because it kind of, you know, it's like, it's good to have the hard problems up front so that they don't come up later and then you're like frustrated. So I figured out how to deal with an eviction. I got the guy out in less than two months and put a fresh, you know, renovated the unit he was, uh, he was in and put a fresh tenant in and then no problems after that. I mean, no major, no tenant problems at least after that. So Vivek, you bought the previous one for 260. What did you sell it for? That I sold for about 310. So you made about 50 Gs on that. Yeah, 50 Gs. You moved. You know, I keep telling him to do exchanges 1031. He wouldn't listen. But anyway, he paid tax on it like a moron. Yeah. And then, uh, the remaining funds, you just used that funds to just put a down payment. Put on down payment house? on this house. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And then were there any big CapEx expenditures? Um, There were CapEx expenditures, but there was this, this property was cash flowing so well. Like yeah. I did not put even a dime of my own money in there. It was all from the cash flow of the property. So the the mortgage on it was about 1900 or so and uh is bringing in as soon as I got it on day 1 it was bringing in about 3600 mm-hmm. and then I eventually, you know, up the rents, made things better, got better tenants. By the time I was done with it, it was bringing in about 5300 a month. And so it was sold this huge. One. Yeah, and I sold this one. It was yeah, huge. Really a moron. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so why why'd you sell that one? So that one I sold because I was again I want I had done extracting as much value as I could from that property. Uh, like say you know I was making you know a few thousand dollars. What about the three thousand dollars you were making every month? I was I was making three thousand a month, but out of the three thousand, you know, I was spending maybe a thousand to maybe fifteen hundred just on maintenance on average throughout the year because something would break. You know, someone's suddenly someone's uh, bathroom but is not what, if doing three well. Three grand is what you're clearing. That means you still have fifteen hundred a month. Fifteen hundred a month, yeah. So say fifteen hundred a month. Sure, I'm making that money. Why not keep it, dude? That's yeah, sure. Use. You're getting the equity. You're getting the cash flow. Yeah, you're but getting but everything. Hear, What's happening? Hear me, hear me out. So yeah, either I make fifteen hundred a month, which is uh, let's say what eighteen uh, eighteen thousand a year. 18,000 a year, right? Mm-hmm. Now I can either make 18,000 a year or I could sell it and make a profit of 200,000. Mm-hmm. So what's more valuable to me, 1800, you know, 18,000 a year, and it would take me over 10 years to make 200,000 from the property, or I get the 200,000 out now, invest it in my next property, potentially buy something closer to, uh, you know, three quarters of a million, even million. What about a cash out refi? I could do a cash out refi, but that would increase my monthly, uh, uh, you know, expenses. Yeah, and it was also like, you know, it was a little maintenance heavy 
yeah, okay, okay. Because it is built in 1930. Okay. So it's not like a new so, construction. Yeah. You might dodge a bullet, actually, because those yeah. capex is going to creep up. They just, they just creep up eventually. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I dealt with some, like, I learned so much about management. Like, with this property, I dealt with, uh, I learned how to deal with mold. I learned how to deal with leaking basements. I learned what French drains do. I learned a lot about radon mitigation. Uh, I learned how to uh, how steps are built, like a lot of basic things, uh, concrete work, uh, like you name it. So I got a really good idea of what things cost, how much it costs to do things, and how to do things correctly. Like I had to tell the radon guy how to install the radon system, even though they'd been doing this for 20 years. So sometimes you have to tell the contractors what you want yeah. done because they they are in it just to make money. Yep, that's interesting, man. I didn't know that you were uh, self managing this whole time. Yeah, yeah. And then you went and bought another unit too, right? You have another. And then oh yeah, and then I bought a uh, a duplex uh, after that. So about 2018, I bought the quad, and then 2020, right before the pandemic, uh, I bought a duplex. And my hands were literally shaking signing that document for the duplex because I knew that was a pandemic was coming up. Things were uncertain. I didn't know what was going to happen, but I was like, I've come this far. There's no way I'm going to back out from this deal. And I'm glad I went ahead with it. Um, Cause I, I got it doing now. It's doing, it's doing well. Um, I, I bought it for about 128 K or so. I got it really cheap, uh, but it needed, it needed a lot of work. I had, I essentially did, uh, like a full renovation on uh, both units um, and put in a decent amount of money on it. And I would put say in put like in 70 grand, right? Put in like 80, I was almost a hundred grand in there. Wow. Yeah. So, and the rule, the rule of thumb, you know, that says, uh, you know, that you'll read in most book is that every dollar you put in the property should bring you another dollar yeah. back. Yeah. Uh, one, I yeah. I, at least one dollar back. Otherwise you're wasting yeah. your time. I mean, yeah. bring another extra dollar back. So one to two ratio typically. Sure. So, um, yeah, so now I I would value it at about three twenty five or something is my evaluation. So I'll be putting it on the market soon, and uh, you know get all that money out of it, and then try to buy something big, uh, something in the million range. That's my goal. What is that? What is that uh, bringing you every month? So right now that's bringing me about twenty thirty six hundred a month. Okay. That's, and, that's uh, gross or is that net? that's 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 gross and uh after all expenses i would say uh, slightly about 3k okay so well, because it's, it's, the, the mortgage is low but you put in 80 grand though so i put it yeah, yeah yeah so it's bringing so in good money in, it's like 100 grand in you would say? yeah yeah i would say 100 grand in and it's bringing in 3k that's pretty good dude yeah, yeah. that's a 36 percent return on your money and why in out of curiosity because I love how like we're very different in that you're mm-hmm. like, I'm selling everything and doing a, I'm going to take that cash and go to the next deal. Yeah. We're like, we don't want to sell. We're only selling now because mm-hmm. they're just like consistent problems and, and not great areas. And we're taking yeah. warning into really nice areas. Like mom's going to, nice. mom could be like walking the street and I'd be totally fine. Cause it's like a nicer area. So why do you sell, um, when we're so convicted in like buying whole, like passive income in 10 years, it's going to be like insane. There, there's different ways of doing it. So if you, sure. like, if you, uh, if you're buying properties that are in like great shape, so like the second property I bought, this was constructed again in the twenties. 
So I, it just makes me a little nervous when something's around 100 years old. Yeah. There could be so many things hiding in there. Yeah. Uh, it makes me... So uh, what about this property that you're selling? This now? one I'm selling, right? It was made in the 20s. It was brought oh, 20s. Oh, so yeah. these old buildings. Uh, yeah, that's why I get, I get good deals on them. And then, oh, you know, see. I just kind of put a little lipstick on it, literally. I make, it, I make I them see. look really nice. Uh, I'm sure it'll stand. I'm sure it'll stand for another 50 years. It's not like it's going to fall apart. It's been standing sure, for so long. It's gonna be but it's just a, eventually. you know, when things are that old, things break more often. Yeah. So uh, I want to buy something in a nicer area. I want to buy something that's closer to Philly. Maybe upgrade sure. to a a B area uh, yeah. or maybe an A minus area where the cash flow might not be as nice, but it's yep. a little less of a maintenance uh, headache. I was literally going to say the same thing. I was like, that's what we're trying to do: is trying to find the nicest areas we can. Mm-hmm. And if cash flow is four dollars, yeah, at least they're go- at least they're good tenants who pay on time, who are like less of a headache, less maintenance, you know. So that's interesting. We're both kind of on that same path in a way where uh, we're just trying to shift into a nicer area because people will make or break your deal. The tenants huge. Yep. Yeah, just so that the listeners know <clears throat> what we're talking about is so Vivek is talking about buying and selling properties and getting the cash and buying more. The big difference between Vivek and Drew and I is Drew and I raise private capital. That's oh, the big that's difference. Yeah. So Vivek is using all of his funds and just yeah. the money he's saving. So he can only do so much. So since that's why we have more doors than Vivek is because we can easily have a dinner party on Friday, probably raise like quarter million dollars yeah we, we could yeah yeah we probably, probably will probably will yeah. so but for vivek to save quarter million dollars he cannot save quarter million dollars ever so what he will do is he will just buy a property do some capital improvements and then sure. sell it and then he will take that money the only thing i tell if you are vivek you, you should do is you shouldn't sell it you should identify another property and try to exchange it into that because every sure. time he does that he's giving away 15 percent capital gains plus uh, state tax so, yeah. so almost 20 percent is yeah. uh, the government is just taking your equity, you know? So. And that changes if you keep it for less than a year and then over a year. If you're at least, at least you at least hold on to it for at least like two years, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Sure. So you know, just for, for the listener, just as a fun example, like maybe for that last deal that you sold in the the one in the 30s, built in the 30s. <laughs> mm-hmm. What what was like the take home, and then what was the tax bill on that? Oh, yes. So I would say the take home was about 210, mm-hmm. almost, two, almost 220K. Now the tax bill on that is going to be, uh, so it's 15% federal tax. Um, so that's about 30 something K. And then uh, mm-hmm. Pennsylvania taxes you 3%. So 18%. So almost like 35 to 40K and in then don't uh, forget 9% taxes. He just lost 40 Oh, yeah. Closing cost. No, I'm saying after the closing cost, yes. I got that. Oh, much oh, in the yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay. After, yeah. So I walked away with that much. But um, but then that 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 property also, I probably earned another maybe 20K in cash flows from that. So that was still remaining. So that property earned me a decent, almost like quarter million. Uh, okay. It was good, uh, good money. So yeah, I'm looking forward in to a, in the like next deal. Year, in in like year. 2018, 2022, three and a half years. Nice. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome, man. So you essentially probably like in a way doubled your normal working wage because you're, yep. you're investing in real estate. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. That's the whole point. Yeah, so for us, it's it's really about generational wealth. It's about, you know, building something that will give us the, what I always tell people is I don't want it necessarily, I don't want to just quit working and retire early 
I love to work. I actually really do love to wake up every day. I get an enjoyment in, the, in what I'm doing uh, when it comes to the real estate stuff, my music school, whatever I'm doing. So for me, it's the option to not have to. And so that's why I love the buy and hold method. And just the, the berry just gets sweeter every year as rents go up. Mortgage stays the same overall, you know, refinance is not included. Um, and, you know, obviously all the tax deductions as well. So, I mean, imagine what we're going to do. If we just kept what we have now and if it was managed and like tenants are paying, you know, uh, it, it would just be, it's going to, in 10 years, it's going to be kind of almost silly how much equity we'll be sitting on. So that's kind of where my brain is, you know, um, totally get where you're coming from though. And, and if you're selling properties, it's, I think it's one part because you're managing it yourself. So it's just yes, like exactly. It's like a I can, yeah. I cannot do more than six doors. It's a lot. Like say having Second six doors was my max. Yeah. Yeah. And because you're a one man show, so you're trying to just like move into the bigger thing yes. and because you're buying older properties. But yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I totally, it's a very interesting, like you have your own like thing and your own niche. We do our thing. It's, it's kind of cool. So yeah, Vivek, sure. if, um, yeah, it's different people, different things, but if you want to grow, I would say if you want to be very, I am very aggressive. Like, you know, like, uh, I want to, I want to go really fast. Like I, I take boxing lessons. I only practice how to punch you in the face, like really fast. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know any defense. Knockout I, shot. I don't, I don't know kicks. I don't know jujitsu. Like he knows Krav Maga probably will kill me. No jabs. All right. Hooks. Just all hooks. Right. <laughs> so so same thing, like, so with real estate and stuff, it, you know, what Vivek's talking about is more like a well-round approach, but it takes, it takes time. It takes a long time. If you don't yeah. partner, it's going to take, that's why like we are able to grow much faster because I can raise capital, yeah. then I can save and stuff like that. So Vivek, yeah. I wanted to ask you, if somebody wants to start, like, what would you recommend? Like, like what would they have to do? And then once uh, we finish talking about real estate, I'll, I'll ask you some questions on stocks and stuff. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I mean, a good starting point, it really depends on how much, like what your situation is, like what's your day job like? If you have a demanding day job, I I wouldn't recommend doing it on your own. Um, when I started, my day job wasn't very demanding. Um, so, you know, I, I worked 40 hours a week, but and I had reasonable amount of free time outside of that. So I was able to do it. And plus, I was a lot younger. I, so, you know, I had more free time. As you get older, you have more obligations and you don't have as much patience to do things. So uh, I would recommend finding a mentor, find someone who is doing this. Don't reinvent the wheel. Don't do anything fancy. Don't swing for the fences. Just partner with someone who knows what they're doing and pay them for their, like pay them for their time. Like you sure you could do this on your own. You could read 10 books and gain all this expertise, but doing all of that will take you a year or two. And that year or two is your opportunity cost. This is the time you could have spent yeah. uh, actually doing deals. So if you can partner with someone uh, you can trust uh, and move ahead, that's good. Uh, or if you have a mentor who tells you exactly what to do, who will make sure that you don't make too many mistakes, that's also great. But yeah. it's really hard to find those mentors. I was lucky. I found a mentor like that. He helped me uh, identify properties. He helped me, you know, run some numbers for me. And he, he was like, he offered me some sanity checks because I was so unsure of doing things. The, your first deal is really your hardest deal. If you can get through your first deal, the subsequent deals get a lot easier. So uh, for that first deal, I would highly recommend you either partner or find a mentor who can help you out. 
Yeah, that's really good, man. Yeah, that's partnering, mentoring. That's that's saved us a lot of time, even for me myself. Like you know, I'm sure I could go buy stuff by myself, like you. But there's yeah. no way I'll be where we are today without Drew. Right? Same thing for him too. So it's uh, partnering with the right people is very, yeah. very super important. Yep. So um, uh, I want to uh, take it back to um, like the podcast. Style. So, th- you know, this podcast is all about real assets and how we can help people achieve financial freedom. But, you know, um, wh- what we try to preach is if you go to work and if you trade your time for money, no matter how long or how much money you make, you will never be financially independent or free because you constantly have to work to make that money come in and they can always print more money than you make, right? So that devalues the money they pay you. So real estate, we say, is just one of the uh, things. We think it is the best, but there are other aspects. So Vivek, I know you dabble around with other things too. So what can you tell the listeners about like stocks, 401k, Roth, IRA, all that stuff? So first thing I would say is if your adjusted uh, gross income, AGI, is under 140K, please go out and open a Roth IRA. A Roth IRA is literally it works out to free money by the time you retire. So everyone should have one of these accounts. The max you can contribute to a Roth IRA is 6,000 a year right now. And when you withdraw money from this account at a, whatever age, 58, 60, you do not pay any taxes on the capital gains of the, on the capital gains of this account. So this is a huge benefit. Everyone must take advantage of. Uh, I found out about it really late in my thirties. I wish someone had told me back in my twenties. Yeah, but uh, like better 18, late than never. Could you imagine maxing it out by 18, oh my sorry, God. 18 years old? You can it's a sh- at 16, Dude, your nieces, we got to set up for them. I got, without even trying. I got my nieces and one of my nieces already set up. She's 15 years old. And uh, I got my sister to set up a custodial Roth IRA. Nice. So she's already put uh, funding that. And so by the time my niece turns 18, she'll already have some money in her Roth and she can continue funding it. That's so nice. that's uh, I know that's, you have to work to fund your Roth IRA, but the correct custodial one, huh? Custodial, yes, you can do a custodial Roth IRA where you where your what parents parents can put money in your Roth IRA, uh, um, but it's kind of like they have to pay you for doing chores, yeah. so uh, okay. they like they that. can yeah. So instead of so paying you money directly, that's you can uh, put money in their uh, custodial uh, Roth IRA, or if they get some sort of summer job or something all that money, like my niece, is, my niece works as a li- uh, lifeguard um, and she gets paid for that and that money goes into uh, the Roth. So like all of it or is she like split it up a little bit? I think, I think she money. splits it up. Obviously she needs yeah. some, some fun yeah, money. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. And no, uh, yeah, like, when oh, you're retirement. that young, you cannot <laughs> think, you cannot think that far ahead. It's very difficult. But, uh, but yeah, highly recommend Roths. Um, so Roth then is I re- number one if you're 140 or below. 140 or below. And then I, then I rec- also recommend your uh, company's 401k, especially if they're matching. Uh, a lot of companies will offer you a 3%, 4%, 5% match. Please contribute as much as you can to at least get that match. Otherwise, you're leaving money on the table. That's literally free money. You put in 5%, your company puts in 5%, and your uh, 401k grows faster. And uh, right now, the maximum you can contribute to a 401k is 20500 a year. And uh, what I didn't know for a long time is that the employer match doesn't count towards the 20,500. So if you're putting in 20,500 and then your employer is matching, say another 5,000, then you can have 25,500 going into your 401k every year, which is huge. You know, Mm -hmm. over a 30, 40 year career, you'll have a couple million in there if you let it grow with the market. 
They uh, also have Roth 401k. They also have Roth 401k, which is true, which is essentially you're putting post-tax money into your 401k. But uh, this means that you this money is not deducted from your uh, income. So you don't get the tax benefit right now. But the benefit of the Roth 401k is that similar to the Roth IRA, once that money grows in the account and when you pull it out, you don't pay any taxes on the money or on the gains because you've already paid the taxes. So that is huge, even on the gains. So that is really huge. So highly recommend. Uh, It's it's hard to figure out the split. So right now, just for simplicity, I do a 50-50 split. I put 50% in 401k, 50% in Roth 401k. But, uh, you know, everyone's case might be different. um, And uh, you should figure out an ideal split. And another point to note is that uh, a lot of people just put money in their 401k and don't allocate the money to the proper funds. So that, I think, is by design. Uh, They make it complicated so that people just um, buy whatever fund sounds fancy. Like when I, when I started putting in my 401k, I was a dumbass. I put in like all my money in the money market fund, which was essentially paying me 0.01% because I wanted to play it safe. And then I was like, what am I doing? Like, why am I not investing this in the market? And this is back in 2012, uh, 2010, 2012, you know, just imagine if I'd invested that, but, uh, Anyway, I learned I learned the hard way, and then uh, I learned about. How I many read years a, did that take you? Took me. It's kind of embarrassing, like five six years to figure that out. Actually, ah, you had five years in zero point zero one percent. Yeah, it was yeah. it was embarrassing. Uh, it's basically, cash under your mattress. It was basically <laughs> it was basically cash under my mattress, and then I read a bunch of books on uh, stock market investing, and uh, all these books, you know, these books would be like three hundred pages. But end of the end of the day, they would all say stick to index funds. Like, sure, you can buy fancy yeah. stocks. You can look at PE ratios. You can read, uh, you know, the co- company statements. You know, their accounting statements. All of that. But end of the day, it is really difficult to beat an index fund. And for those listeners, you know, who are wondering what an index fund is, it is essentially a fund that mimics one of the th- uh, one of the three major indexes we have. Could be more than. Uh, could be even. Uh, could not be a, could be any index actually, but typically you're you're trying to mirror the Nasdaq or the S and P 500 or the Dow. I like uh, funds that mirror the uh, S and P 500 and the Nasdaq. So the S and P 500 is essentially uh, if you buy say w- uh, one share of an S and P 500 fund, you're essentially investing in 500 companies. So your money is safe. It's pretty much like you're putting money in a, in a bank account. It might fluctuate a little bit here and there, but the maximum amount of money you could lose from that, give, even if you have like a 2008 kind of scenario, is 20% max, 30%. But you're not going to lose all your money because in order for you to lose all that money, the top, top 500 companies in the US would have to go bankrupt. And if that happens, it doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank, we're all screwed. Yeah. So we have to... Uh, think of it in terms of, uh, you know, a risk to reward uh, kind of aspect. So investing in an index fund has very little risk, but great reward. And over the long term, investing in index funds, you will always come out ahead. So no matter, uh, you know, you have all these fancy money managers that are paid millions of dollars every year, they come up with all these funds, but none of them, very few of them actually beat, um, the industry benchmark, which is the uh, S&P 500. 
So highly, highly recommend uh, low cost index fund. Um, always look out for expense ratios under uh, 0.1%. And expense ratio is essentially the money a fund charges you to uh, run the fund. So typical expense ratio for an S&P fund is around 0.05, 0.04%. is very low. Yep. And then uh, mutual funds can be up to 1% or even- Mutual 1%. funds can be up to 1%, but um, mutual funds are Scans. kind of becoming obsolete now. Yeah, it's, it's becoming obsolete now. So the reason people had, the reason we had mutual funds is that it allowed you to buy a fraction of a fund. So for example, I'm going to give you an example. So right now, my favorite fund is uh, BGT, which is the Vanguard Technology Fund. And it essentially is the fund that mirrors the NASDAQ. The NASDAQ is, a, is an index that um, comprises of the top 100 tech companies in the US. Tech companies grow really fast. So I'm a big fan of the fund. Now, right now, I think one share of BGT is around $400. So typically back in the day, uh, you know, you would, in order to buy BGT, you would need actual, for, you know, for, you need $400 to buy one share. But nowadays we have fractional investing. So even if I have $200, I can buy half a share of BGT and still be in the game. I don't have to wait till I have actual $400 in my account. Now, back in the day, uh, since people didn't want to wait till they had enough money to buy one whole share of, a, of an ETF, they would just put their money in a mutual fund, which allowed them to buy a fractional share of, BGT, of the same fund. So, um, the, but then the issue with mutual funds is that they have higher expense ratios. They charge you more money and they also have a higher minimum balance. So you need to have at least $2,000 or $3,000 to actually start buying these mutual funds. So uh, my advice would be uh, stay away from mutual funds unless you have a very specific reason. Um, just stick to ETFs. Uh, ETF stands for exchange traded fund. Um, so stick to an ETF that mirrors uh, an index fund such as the uh, NASDAQ or S&P 500 and your money will be safe. It'll grow with the market over the next 30 years. So I got to ask the question. This is all yeah. amazing, by the way. It's like yeah. super dense, like great tips. I remember having this conversation with you years ago and you helped me yep. set up everything that I've got going on. I invest in all those things that you were just talking about because of you. Yep. And I take all of that money from you. And he all that money, by the way. <laughs> hey, bro. You have 20 grand? I see you oh. just got seven grand this month. Like, you know. Um, it's not yeah. a joke. Uh, um, but yeah. Uh, oh, I want to ask you about um, crypto. Do you do crypto? Oh, no. Oh yeah, yeah. So I, I got into crypto a while ago. Uh, the only reason I'm still in crypto is because I got into it back in 2018. Uh, it is the literally the wild west. It, there's so much going on. I haven't done my research since like, it's been a couple of years because uh, there's just so many, um, you know, what, what, what are they called? Shit coins, quote unquote, where, uh, you know, they could, they're just out in the market and, you know, they just like pump and dump schemes where um, you invest your money and, you know, you might, it might go up to a certain amount um, overnight, but then it might crash because it was really a scam. It wasn't really making money. So right now with crypto, I see the, the main issue with crypto is that there aren't as many use cases. Like I haven't, I've, I've, I'm slowly started to, starting to see some use cases, especially with uh, Ethereum. Um, which is essentially a smart contract based uh, cryptocurrency. So I have some money invested in that. Uh, Bitcoin, I'm really not sure of because 
it is it is slow and it has high transaction fees. So I really don't see a good use case for it. But um, the only two cryptocurrencies that I have some faith in are uh, Cardano and uh, Ethereum because they are they have some real life applications. And I hope that someday, uh, you know, they'll be used widely and, you know, they really go up in value because I'm invested in them. But it will also be good uh, to have uh, more blockchain technology integrated in our lives because uh, I'm a big big believer in uh, in the blockchain. It is um, essentially uh, a way to decentralize finance. Uh, if I had to describe it in uh, thirty seconds, I would say what what is what blo- what blo- what the blockchain essentially does is it maintains a public ledger of transactions. Like say, for example. Uh, Drew wants to give Vincent five dollars right now. What, so what does that what does that entail? That means Drew has to tell Bank of America, "Hey, Bank of America, um, I want to give Vincent five dollars. So please update your books to reflect to deduct five dollars from my account and add five dollars in Vincent's account." Now, if you want to, so Bank of America is essentially acting as a middleman. So what decentralized finance means is that you're getting rid of the middleman. So what you're really doing is you're saying that. There's a currency out there, uh, you know, for some simplicity, simplicity's sake, let's just say it's Bitcoin. And uh, Drew has five Bitcoin and Vincent has zero Bitcoin. Now what you're going to do is uh, you wanna, you're going to tell the Bitcoin network that, hey, I want to transfer one Bitcoin from Drew's account, move it to Vincent's account. Now, in order to do that, the blockchain has to verify the transaction. So there's like, millions of computers out there doing this work real time and they will update their ledger and they, w- they will deduct one Bitcoin from Drew's account and add it to Vincent's account, essentially performing the role of what Bank of America would have performed. And this information is out there in the public. Anyone in the world, if they know your uh, wallet addresses, they can, re- they can look up the transaction and be like, oh, this transaction occurred. It is legit. So it is just a way of, uh, eliminating the middleman, but the issue with Bitcoin is that it just costs. It's just a lot of computing power to conduct these transactions, and you know these these people verifying these transactions need to get paid. So the cost per transaction, I feel, is really high. So uh, there's ways to they've come, they have come up with ways to uh, simplify this, but um, other coins might be doing that. But I I personally don't believe much in don't have much faith in Bitcoin itself. Interesting. Wow. Yep. So, well, why would anybody want to have a D DeFi? Like, what is the point? the the point The point of it is to, like I was saying, is to eliminate the middleman. It is just to have a, um, like a like a public ledger of transactions and just eliminate. You just want you're just trying to eliminate institutions and just get things in control. I mean, uh, that's the that's the only reason I can think of like people, a lot of people don't trust institutions and they want uh, power in their hands. So, but I mean, you're, you're like, I have like, I don't know, five grand of whatever coins, right? Sure. It's sitting in Binance, Binance is owned by China. I mean, sure. sitting with a, with a company owned by China and some other account It's not with me. Right. So it's still yeah. some, some amount of centralization and some amount of control. Yes, Binance, Binance is the exchange. Now you have the option 
to keep your money in a, you can literally have a hardware wallet or a paper wallet and not have your money on the exchange. So that's the beauty of crypto is that yeah. you can, you can choose to keep your money on the exchange, but if not, you can keep it with you. So it's kind of like keeping cash under your mattress, but in a digital form. Yeah, I, I, I mean, that's too much work. I don't want it. It is a lot of work. Yeah, that's yeah. what. If you lose it, it's gone as well. Yeah. Right. But then, you your password. Yeah. I mean, if you, but then you can have what they call a seed, which is essentially a series of like 40 words or something. If you have that, you can restore your wallet. But if you lose your seed and if you lose the wallet, then your money's gone. It's kind of like losing cash. Once your cash is gone, it's gone. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. Hey, so you bought Bitcoin when it was like six grand, right? I bought I bought Bitcoin Bitcoin when it was three grand, and then uh, did you sell it? I sold it when it uh, when it, uh, it it went up to about thirty grand, and it started falling precipitously. It came down to six grand. I was like, oh my god, I cannot do this anymore, and I sold it at six grand or something. Oh, but then, <laughs> yeah, and then forty forty oh. grand or something. I know, right? Yeah, and that's I know. that's the low price. It was at sixty. It was at 60. I feel like this is the theme of the VEX, like investing. Like you're way smarter than 99% of people for sure. But like, you kind of just like, eh, you're like, it's like, I don't know. You just, you sell quick and you move to the next thing. It's, I think yeah, it's, just, but like, it's like a video game to you probably, right? It is. Yeah. And then, but I did invest a, a decent amount in Ethereum and Cardano. Those are my, uh, yeah. and those are doing pretty well. Like I, I bought Cardano at like a, at four or five cents it's like going it went up to two dollars at some point so how much so, money did you put into crypto and what do you have right now uh sure uh i would say i, I put it maybe about 20 grand or so yeah at some point it was it went up to 150 160 grand it's probably sitting at a hundred it it, it it hovers between like 80 and 100 plus k depending on how the market's doing Imagine how real estate did that every day. I would have a heart attack. Yeah, the volatility. I, I invest in Ethereum personally. Yeah. Um, and I don't look at it. I don't look yeah, at it. Yeah, I don't look at it in a while. Because I do it through Robinhood, actually. I just do like fractional shares and stuff like we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. And I look at like BGT, VOO. I'm like, all right, cool. That's about right. Up, up, up a, a dollar. I made a dollar in there, whatever. And then I look down at the, the Ethereum. It's like, oh, you're up $53 today. I'm yeah. Like, what? And then the next day, it's like, oh, you lost a hundred. <laughs> like, it's a lot, lot of volatility. It's not, it's not for the faint-hearted, for sure. I just don't look at it. I open my app like this. And I just, <laughs> no, it's such a small amount that it's just kind of fun to like. I don't know. It's that's that's the only reason I like it. So I threw in four yeah. grand last year. Yeah, it went up to eight grand. I think it's back to like four grand now. He's but, a psycho. But it was, it was it was pretty fun. So what I'd like to do is I'd actually like to. Um, I love to wrap with just like some nice educational. Uh, sorry, I'm just finishing out our, our live thing. I love to talk about real quick, like Cliff Notes version of uh, the pros and cons of each of the asset classes that we just talked about. Like real quick, like sure, sure. Uh, so let's let's start with uh, real estate um, pros. Uh, great, great uh, hedge against inflation. Um, okay. You have assets and they, they grow with time. Um, We're talking about great, real estate, right? Yeah, talking yeah. about real estate, starting with real estate. Mm -hmm. uh, number two, I would say tax benefits are great, um, especially if your you know, income's around under 100K. If your adjusted income is under 100K, you get great tax benefits. The, the benefits phase out as your uh, AGI goes up, adjusted gross in, income goes up, but it's still, uh, you still get some, it's still good. I would still recommend it. 
Um, and then but number three, I would say, is to get the benefit of leveraging. You put in uh, 10%, 20%, and then the bank pays rest of the money. And say you invest, say, say you invest $20,000 to buy a $100,000 uh, asset. And if that asset is appreciating at 5% a year, you're, you're gaining $5,000 $5, every year by investing $20,000. So your rate of return is just multiplied because of the leveraging. Yeah, by yeah. five times because you're leveraging. So uh, real estate really, really allows you to do that. Um, cons, I would say for real estate are, um, it can get management heavy. Um, sometimes fees can eat up. Like when you, when you buy, uh, you know, you might, you might pay some fees, uh, you know, to title and, you know, buying insurance and, you know, some closing costs you might have. And then when you're selling, you might pay between, you know, four and a half to 5% um, to your agent. And then you're paying transfer taxes all of that. So you got to build that in as overhead costs. Um, property management can eat up some money. Uh, some property managers charge up to 10%. You know, if you get a good deal, you might get 67% uh, in property management. And um, I would say that's mostly, uh, and then if you're managing on your own, you know, it's a little bit, little bit of your uh, mental effort, you know, I guess so putting in work is a- it can be very active. I would say one of the active. biggest cons is it's just very active. It is active. Um, especially, I mean, we have property management. It's still very active for us. Yeah. You know, managing the managers essentially. So, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and it's also that, illiquid. That's the one uh, uh, negatives of uh, yeah. real estate. Illiquid. Yeah. It's hard to like, yeah, uh, sell stuff right away. Uh, yeah. It can be, things can be a little bit uh, market, market dependent. So, uh, yeah, it, you know, if it's uh, not a good time and, you know, you want to sell right away, you might, it, it might not work out for you. So, yeah, the illiquid part, for sure. Um, but that's about, all. Uh, ETFs. Uh, ETFs. Oh, stocks. So, stocks. Uh, stocks, the pros is, um, I would say, now, now when, I, when I'm talking about stocks, I'm talking about, talking about index funds. I'm not talking about individual stocks. Um, and so the pros of buying index funds is that it's easy. You can do it in your sleep. You set it, you set your direct deposit to go to your brokerage. You can instruct your brokerage to buy X amount of ETFs every month. And it's a set it and forget it kind of approach. And 30 years down the road, you'll be a millionaire. It is very simple. Um, the, that's, that's the main benefit. Uh, you're, it's a good hedge against inflation. The market typically grows at 7% a year on average. Uh, inflation typically is around two, 3%. Uh, this, this past year has been a little bit of an exception. Inflation has been around 7%, but still it's a um, good hedge against inflation. And uh, it is highly liquid. So if you want to sell your stock to buy a house, it's very easy. So um, yeah, I would, that's the, those are definitely the pros. Cons of buying stocks, uh, buying index funds, I I really don't, I mean, uh, cons could be in the short run, the market could fall, like, you know, something like the pandemic could happen and your portfolio could lose 10 to 20% of its value. So um, there's a little bit of risk in that, but uh, I saw the pandemic as an opportunity. I was like, I saw the prices fall. I was like, this is a sale. Let's uh, take advantage of this. And uh, I went, I invested a significant amount and I'm reaping the benefits of that. I actually used 
the benefits I got, uh, the gains I got from that, I used that to buy my primary residence that I'm in right now. So uh, real quick, mm-hmm. cons of mm-hmm. ETFs mm-hmm. compared to real estate now. Cons of ETFs uh, compared to real estate. Uh, I don't, I and, don't okay, think. That, how about uh, this in terms of like returns? That's kind of what I'm thinking. Returns, okay, well, returns. Not, maybe you're right. not yeah. cons. Just what, what, what were the returns? Benefits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what I'm fishing. Real about. estate. So real estate, like I mentioned before, you get benefit of leveraging. So you cannot, they don't, you, you cannot even compare, because if I have twenty thousand dollars to invest. And, uh, you know, market goes up by 7%. I made $1,400, but uh, I invest 20,000 in real estate to buy a $100,000 property. And, you know, let's say conservatively, your real estate market went up 5%. I made $5,000 right there. There there is no comparison when it comes to rate of return over the long run so yeah real estate definitely realized that once we realized that that's when we were like that this is our path man active or not like that's the real goal so that's the path and and we both still are very active in and stocks we both have obviously you know the roths and all that Mm -hmm. and but yet our the majority what i want to do is real estate just because it's just got the most juice out of it you know for sure for sure um, and then how about crypto just for fun? We'll end on crypto. I mean, it's like, uh, it's, it saves you time from going to the casino. So <laughs> yeah, you can just like roll the- you have a heart attack every yeah, night. Heart attack, yeah. <laughs> we got a friend uh, who I won't name, but he's got like a lot of money invested in it. And so it's just like, he might be up a hundred grand tomorrow and then down another hundred grand the next day. <laughs> yep. It's crazy. You know? So that's kind of cool. Yeah. The volatility is a huge con, you know, so if you have any kind of anxiety problems, don't do it. Yeah. Um, sure. But I don't know. What are the pros? Would you say the pros? I would say it's, it's high risk, high reward. Right. So yeah. uh, it is, uh, I would say the risk for uh, real estate and stocks are kind of, I would say real estate risk might be slightly higher because it's more management heavy. So, yeah. you know, you could have some disaster strike, uh, you know, something really unfortunate happened, but even if that happens, you have insurance to cover you. So, uh, I'm just saying like, maybe you have a bad tenant or something. So that's where some risk might come in. But, uh, with stocks, I would say the risk is slightly lower, but I, uh, you know, in that, uh, you know, the market might fall a little bit here and there, but it's, it's never really going to go to zero. So you're never going to lose all your money, but I feel the benefits, uh, the, you know, the risk reward I feel is better with real estate because your, even though your risk is slightly slightly more, the reward is way higher. So I would definitely put real estate up and, and put. And what I what I personally like about mm-hmm. real estate, amongst all the other things, is that it's kind of the same reason why. Speaking of like the casino analogy, yeah. Why when I go to the casino, I go play blackjack. And now here's why: it, the odds are still stacked against me, so it's not a great example. But the point is, is I know how to play blackjack and I know how to play it well. Yeah. I had a. I, I had family that just like that was something we did we always i grew up in kansas drove out to california stopped in vegas and grandma would just show me like how to play blackjack on the video games and then obviously i couldn't as a kid but once i got out of age i really enjoyed the game i i don't go into it thinking i'm gonna make a million dollars i just have fun but the point is is i definitely win a lot more at blackjack and it's because 
I, I know the game and I have some amount of control when to double down and fold and hit and the numbers compared to say a slot machine, which is what I would compare crypto to. Yeah. You know, it's like, Oh, you pulled it and you just got 5k and you pulled mm-hmm. in $20 and then, Oh, and now you just lost, you know, like yeah. all of that in the next like 20 minutes. So that's my little fun analogy for the audience. Yeah, with crypto, you can, although with crypto, you can mitigate your risk a little bit by doing your research. Like I, sure. I did a ton of research back in 2018. I read, I was reading white papers all night long and that's how I found Cardano and that really paid off for me. So, um, I did, you know, you can mitigate as with any type of investment, you can mitigate your risk by educating yeah. yourself. Education. So, uh, yeah, that, that is key. Hey, we had to get going in a little bit, but like, I want to, sure. you know me, I want to always end on a controversial note. So uh-huh. I want to ask you, you know, there's a lot of talk on the media and everywhere. There's like, you know, it is hard for someone like you to come mm-hmm. to the U.S. and invest. So you're from India, you're mm-hmm. around, you, you're coming here and people don't even want you to be here. So is that is that a real thing? Is it hard for you to get into real estate and buy properties? Are you going to buy a property and they see you and they don't want to give you the property? Is that even in true? That is not a thing, at least where I live. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. I've lived in, I've lived all over the country. I've lived in um, North Carolina. I've been in Rochester, Chicago, I've lived in Philly. Um, I personally have not had any issues with it. End of the day, uh, people want money. You know, someone's selling a house. If you have uh, good financials, they have no reason to not give you the house. So uh, that's, that's my personal experience though. I'm sure, you know, you know, different people have uh, different experiences, but my personal experience, being an immigrant, um, having a strong financial background earns you a lot of respect and goes a long way. Yeah. That's, that's, that's my thing too. I always, I always see, this is how I see it, right? Uh, um, because you know, people fall into different um, mentalities and then they kind of get affected by it and they don't do anything, right? Yes. I would say, you know, whatever you have, use it to your benefit. Like I am, you know, I, I would take, like my house looks like India now. If you come in there, there's a Taj Mahal. Like I will be the most Indian person you will see in your life. Like you can't, so we, once- We might do Indian food on our party. Yeah, we're going to do Indian actually. food on our party, right? <laughs> nice. But I'm saying if you, if you, uh, if you're to your core, if you believe in something, it does, it, like you can't come to my house and be racist. I'll just ask you to get fuck out, right? Like you're yeah. out of my house. So it's like, if you reach a certain point or if you strive for something else, you know, you, those, those little things don't matter anymore. Like all these little things people talk about, those are not real to me anymore on, on certain aspects. Right. Yeah. So I, yeah. I want, I want to encourage people to kind of like step out of their comfort zone and kind of like do something. And also, you know, being an immigrant, it's uh, gives us a big edge in terms of how much we want it. Like there's no way Drew will be able to be as driven as me because I am crazy, like just all the time, 24 hours. Because Drew already has a green card. He has a citizenship. Nothing can go wrong for him. He could just not do anything and make like 50K, right? Pretty much. That's not his life. My big driver really is, uh, I kind of just grew up, I won't say poor. We definitely weren't poor. I, I had a great childhood, but yeah. I, w- I was seeing a lot of mistakes that my family were making. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I knew and that's not the whole reason, but it's a yeah, good yeah. chunk of the reason. And we're starting to have to now take care of my mom. Like straight up, I have to take care of my She has nothing left in retirement. And I don't, I don't want to call her out on this, but it, <laughs> it is what it is. It's reality. And, and she has a $600,000, $700,000 duplex. She's got a duplex with us. So yeah. yeah, we got that. But point is, is that's yeah, it. 
I have a big motivator just to make sure I can insulate my family because I see it coming. And if I don't do it, I don't know what's going to happen, man. You know, so I want I want to take care of the people I love and, and to go beyond that. I think really it's just about freedom for me. So I'm very motivated. Mm-hmm. I think it's from a different place because I just want that freedom to just like I love to travel. I love to come out and just see you on a whim. We're going to go to Nashville. And yeah, you're going to be there. Yeah, I'll be there. In a month, dude. So I'm so stoked for that. And the fact that we are uh, financially uh, okay enough, we have the freedom just to kind of go. Oh, and... you have to spot me on the whole trip. <laughs> <laughs> He's half kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Asset rich, cash poor, you know. But, uh, but yeah, uh, I just love that. And, and I want to take that to the next level. For the next birthday, I want to go to a visa or I don't know, Europe or something. So yeah. that's a huge part for me. I want to squeeze as much juice out of life as I can. Hey, I want to end on uh, Vivek. Uh, so Vivek, what is, you know, what is your why? What drives you and what made you do all these things? Because you could, you could have easily just stayed with your stupid $80,000 job and just stayed there. But it's $70,000. But now he makes twice that and stuff. But yeah. why did you choose to do all these things he jumps jobs every two years gets like a 20 30 000 that's smart yeah. no you have to i know but economy. why like yeah. what is your why um uh like, like drew said like you, i want to have freedom you know i want to be able to do like i want on a whim i want to be able to book a trip to see my friends or you know Dude, suddenly one I day I, wanna... yeah, I think you just decided like a few days ago like oh, yeah i'll go to nashville like that's I'll... cool man I was literally on a call. I was in a yeah. Zoom call with, with, with Vincent. I was doing a screen share with him. He's helping me with my taxes. And after that, I was like, oh, let's book this trip right now. And I just did it right away. Like, I, I like having that freedom. And uh, I want to be, it, it's not like, um, you know, there's d- different people have different uh, mentalities. Some people want to stop working and just enjoy life. I want to have the freedom. Like, I want to be able to choose that okay, this year I'm going to work only six months. This year I'm going to work only, only going to work eight months. And the other part of the year, I'm going to work on developing myself or do a charity or do whatever it is that I want to do. Um, and the only way I can do that is if I build enough wealth that allows me to make these choices and I'm not chained to a desk and be like, oh no, I have to show up at work tomorrow yeah. at 8 a.m. and make that money so that I, I can pay my mortgage. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. So, uh, and the other... So I think yeah. some takeaway points is uh, let's do this. Let's go in a round table to end it. Sure. Let's, uh, I'll, I'll go first and Vince and then you since you're our guest of honor. My biggest takeaway is like find your why. I think that's like the, the foundation of anything and everything. So figure out your why and then you'll figure out the how. So that's that's my takeaway from this talk. What's, what's yours? Yeah, me, I'm, I'm super uh, like uh, um, mission goal oriented. So I would say you have even if you have a high paying job, you need something else. So Vivek has a Vivek has more high paying job than probably everybody else you talk to, right? Mm-hmm. Other than JK, JK is crazy. <laughs> but uh, so he has a high paying job, but still he had to go out and find real estate stocks and crypto. So those are the only three assets you can also buy businesses. So yeah. have a high paying job, figure it out. So you have active income coming in, but please figure out a way to put your money from that job into those three asset classes. Otherwise, you yeah. will be poor. So yeah. that's my takeaway. Get assets. Assets. Basically he's saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like like Vincent, like Vincent says all the tra- all the time. Cash is trash. Don't let the money sit in your uh, uh, checking account. You got to make your money work for you. 
Yeah. But it feels good to hold it under my mattress and <laughs> talk to it at night. Yeah. Watch, watch your 8% of, 8% of it right now is leaving my mattress <laughs> on an annual basis. It's, yeah. It still it's like, good. it's like Don't sitting run. in a boat with a little hole in it. <laughs> yeah. 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 It definitely is that. Cool. Well, thanks right. so much, dude. Uh, really appreciate you being on our podcast and it's just always good chatting with you and, Man, you hit it hard. There's so much good info here. Like, I'm going to share this episode with everybody because this is... This is real deep episode. I think this might be our most valuable uh, episode to date, for sure. So, thank Oh, you, wait. Uh, uh, Vivek, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, how would they do that? Yeah. Um, hit me up uh, on Instagram. My uh, IG handle is get to Vivek. So, like, G-E-T, the number two, my first name, B-I-B-E-K. Um, yeah, that's... Uh, that's the best way to get me or uh, email me, get to Vivek at hotmail.com. You can also find him at hot or not.com. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you going to plug your OnlyFans, bro? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Vivek Garrison on everything. He gives financial <laughs> advice shirtless. That's his whole thing. <laughs> and his hair comes down. Yeah. Let it out. Well, hey, man. Thanks so cool. much. I'll see you in Nashville. Uh, uh, thanks again for coming to to this podcast and come out to Nashville and, and hang in. Thanks for helping uh, change my life. Like, and I mean that for real, dude, I'm not even playing. So thanks. Dude. Sure. All right. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Nice. Bye. Dude. We're going to go eat food. Steady. Okay. Yeah. Bye. You're listening to the RE social podcast with your hosts, Andrew and Vince from on invest. For more information, go to on